Well, good morning, and uh, just so looking forward to spending time in God's Word together here this morning. And let me kind of lay a little bit of a course for today. Um, we are in the process here of really uh, getting underway with a series called A Radical Call. And just uh, what is God's call on our lives? And I'm going to be taking kind of these uh, two Sundays here to uh, lay some what I would call critical foundation for us. Because if we really want to see the call, if we really want to understand the process to that call, we have to understand and observe Christ with the disciples in that process. It's just absolutely a, a, a wonderful model and so important. I think it's just imperative for us to do that. So we're going to take a couple Sundays doing that. Today is about observing this discipleship journey with a few of the disciples, really from the eyes of a few of the disciples. Next week, we're going to be looking at this discipleship journey through the eyes of the discipler, Jesus Christ, and taking a look at that. So what we're going to do is we're going to kind of hit three spots with this. At the end of each of these spots, I kind of want to have a couple of uh, application or, or think about it points here because I would like for you to be able to walk out today and go, I'm there. I'm at spot number one. I'm at spot number two. I'm at spot number three. Okay? Because that's where the disciples have been. And I think there is just a flowing common pattern on how things progressed here with the disciples. So today it's about really seeing from the eyes of the disciples next week we're going to pick up from there and kind of continue on with the story and see how Christ discipled his guys. What did he disciple them to? What was really the call on their lives for them? Well, open your Bibles to John chapter 1. John chapter 1. If you don't have a Bible with you, uh, we've got some folks coming around with one. Uh, I'd love for you to grab one of those. If you don't own a Bible, you got one now, and uh, you can use that. But we want to uh, have our eyes in the Scriptures here. John chapter 1. You getting there? John chapter 1. We are in a passage that is going to be, is the, actually the very beginning interactions with some of the disciples who become the disciples, with some men with Jesus Christ here. And it is just, I love, love, by the way, I love the interaction that takes place here. There's so much to learn about uh, from these guys as well as so much to learn about Christ. Let me actually pick up John chapter 1. Let's pick up verse 29 kind of get some context here as we move up towards verse 35. Verse 29. The next day, uh, he, speaking of uh, uh, John uh, the Baptist or John the forerunner, uh, the next day John the forerunner saw Jesus coming toward him and said, Behold, anytime you hear behold, that's like ears perked, listen up. He says, Behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. There's a big statement. Verse 30, this is he of whom I said, after me comes a man who ranks before me. Look at this statement. Because he was before me. May I make a reminder for you, if you're new to the Bible, that this statement, because he was before me, who was born first? Uh, uh, John the forerunner was born first. This wasn't talking about he was born before me. This is talking about he was before me. I just tell you, that's a God statement right there. That is literally making a wrapped up statement saying that this one that John is pointing out, this is God in the flesh. And that's what that's really talking about. Verse 31, I myself did not know him, but for this purpose I came being baptized, I came baptizing with water that he might be revealed to all Israel. And John bore witness, saying, I saw the Spirit descend from heaven like a dove, and it remained on him. I myself did not know him. But he who sent me to baptize with water said to me, He on whom you see the Spirit descend and remain, this is he who baptizes with the Holy Spirit. And I have seen and have borne witness that this is the Son of God. Now, big statements there. Big, big, big time statements. What kind of statements are right there? Big. They are big statements there. We don't have time to unwrap all that, but that sets the context. Let's pick up verse 35. Uh, the next day. What day? Okay, the next day after what kind of statement? Big statement. The next day again, John the forerunner was standing with two of his disciples. And he looked at Jesus as he walked by and said, Behold, the Lamb of God. Okay, well, let's talk about this for a couple here because this is pretty, pretty cool. First of all, a statement, two of his disciples. 
uh, John the forerunner had two disciples. The, the word generically means a pupil or a, a student of another. It, it's someone who is an active follower of another, someone who's an adherent, available learner of another. Uh, and there were two of these guys. How many of these guys are two? Uh, we're going to find out this is John and Andrew. Now, there's a whole bunch of Johns in here. Okay, one, we've already talked about John the forerunner. Uh, here, we're talking about John, the human author of this book, this letter here, who eventually becomes one of the disciples. But there's two guys. John and Andrew are pupils, are students of John the forerunner. This tells us a couple things about these two individuals, and it's really important to understand that. It means that these two individuals already had a very keen awareness and interest in the whole Messiah message thing. Okay, these are two individuals who had kind of clung, velcroed themselves, we'll say that, velcroed themselves to John here, the forerunner, for a while, because John, the forerunner, speaking about the Messiah. So these two individuals are learners. They're interested learners. They're there with John because they have an interest, because they want to learn. By the way, it also tells us that they're available interested learners. People can be interested but not available. People can be interested and available but actually not a learner. People can be available and a learner but, well, we're talking about interested, available learners here. I just want to ask you, are you? Are you someone who's, seriously, are you someone who's an interested, available learner? Or someone who just really likes to stay the distance? Watch, watch the process here. Watch what takes place. Because we're talking, we're not talking about someone who's like way out of the frame. Uh, why do these two know about this statement? Because they were interested, available learners, Velcroed to John, and John makes this statement. Now, let's talk about the statement here that he makes. He makes the statement, the Lamb of God. Uh, folks, this is so huge. Uh, we've got to put this in perspective here. Because imagine this, you are, you're a Jew. You live at the time that this is being written. In the country that you are raised in, for now centuries, for generations of time, it has been talked about that there is going to be one that is coming that is from God, one that is God is going to be coming. He's going to be coming from your nation. And he is going to become king of the nation. And in fact, he is going to become king of a kingdom that will be a kingdom over all the earth. So everybody, for centuries, for generations, has been looking forward to the promised Messiah to be coming. Now imagine you're an interested, available learner. You're Velcroed to this guy, John the Forerunner. And John the Forerunner, who's saying... He's coming. I'm telling you, he's coming. It's not like Isaiah. It's not way back like in the Old Testament, like someday he's coming. No, John is like, listen, I was put here to become right before the one he's coming. So it's already like, you know, everybody's just kind of getting juiced up where it's like, man, it's like, it's, it's like now. It's kind of like this. Jesus is coming back. It's been a long time. And after sometimes after a while, it's like, seriously? Oh, yeah, I'm dead serious. And then imagine, this isn't the case. I'm not going to give a date and time. But just imagine if all of a sudden someone said, I'm telling you next week. I'm telling you, or it's like this year. Oh, would you be jazzed up about that? I'm like, yeah. Now, in it, this is what's taking place. So John here has made this statement that that's the Lamb of God. And here are these two interested, available learners whose ears are already perked up about this whole thing. And they're like, bye, John, <laughs> in this whole thing. And John's cool with that. But, but here's, Royce, could you help me here? Thank you. That's a, you get punished for sitting down front. Okay, so here's what ends up happening. So John, let, let's just kind of say I'm, one of, I'm either John uh, or Andrew, and I'm talking to John, the forerunner here. John is looking. As we get the idea here, John isn't talking to Jesus. John literally, as Jesus is walking by, is it five feet away? Is it 50 feet away? I don't know. We don't know. But John here says, there's the Lamb of God. And so here, John and Andrew, they're like, what are we going to do? Take a look at the text here. What are we going to do? Uh, the two disciples heard him say this, and they what? Followed Jesus. Okay, Royce, you're Jesus. That's pretty cool, isn't it? 
Okay, Royce, uh, now don't tell your wife when you get home, okay? We all know reality here, but okay, Royce is walking as though Jesus, he's like that. And these two guys, all right, just keep walking. Uh, this is the following. Now understand, in the passage, it doesn't say that there's been any interaction between Royce and John. <laughs> okay, you're good, Royce. Go ahead and grab a seat. There's been no talking taking place here. John pointed him out, and the two put themselves behind, kind of in the shadow. The word for followed here, it's literally followed. It's kind of like in the shadow, in behind. And so they're following along. No discussions happened here so far. I just want to tell you, here we see these two guys. These two guys stepped out and initiated on their own. They were in tune with the information that was happening at hand. They were learning about the information that happening at hand. And as it happened, these were guys who acted upon the thinking knowledge. This was not blind crutch faith. And you'll see more of that here in a minute. But they come and they follow behind. Let's keep reading the text here. Uh, they follow Jesus. Uh, verse 38, Jesus turned and saw them following. I, I'm just, I'm the kind of guy where I'm wondering, was it, were they following for like 10 seconds? Or was this like a minute? Or was this 10 minutes? And Jesus is just kind of having fun with them. You know, maybe he's just like walking all through town, just seeing how long they're going to hang with them. I don't know how long it was, but it was for a period of time. And then he took around. Look at this question. Uh, by the way, Jesus always gets at the heart by asking questions. I want to tell you, there is such an art, parents, there's such an art in, in working to ask children questions as opposed to commands. Uh, yeah, you do need commands, but uh, questions are a key part. Jesus turned and saw them following and said to them, what are you seeking? What a cool statement. I think this just helps us understand, folks, that Jesus is genuinely all about the heart of a person. This isn't just, this is like with the video we saw earlier. Everybody is about worshiping something. We are created to be worshipers. The question is, what are we worshiping? And that's kind of wrapped up in this sentence here, in this statement here. What are you seeking? I just want to ask you, what are you seeking as you look at your life? I mean, really, what are you seeking? What is life all about? I just clicked back to the video. There's a whole bunch of opportunities of things you can just click your whole life and to be about a seeker of. But I want to say this. Jesus knew that these two guys were seekers. Okay, they were small D disciple seekers. Well, what are you seeking? And they said to him, Rabbi, which means teacher, where are you staying? What an interesting response. I would think these two guys, if John goes, there's the, there's the Lamb of God. They're following. He turns around. I'm like, whoa. Turns around and asks, where, what are you seeking? I'd be like, are, are you the Messiah? What about you? But it's like, isn't that the kind of the duh elephant in the room question to be asking? I mean, are you for real? Uh, but here, I think, is a statement response that is actually an incredibly wise response and shows what's going on in their heart. What's going on in their heart is they just didn't want a quick response. They wanted to spend time with this guy. Hey, where are you staying? This wasn't a HDTV about, hey, I hear the fact that you're a great decorator. Can I come over to your apartment, over to your house, and see how you decorate? Because I've always wondered, how does the Messiah decorate? You know, that's not what's going on here. What's going on here in the process is they're literally like, this is the Messiah? I've been hanging with John. Th these are interested, available learners that hang where they can learn. And they've been hanging and learning with John. Now he points the fact that he's the Messiah. I mean, my goodness, that's the center of the place to go. And so they go. Kind of an interesting discussion here, actually, in Greek. This is such a guy statement thing here. Because actually, in Greek, Jesus says two words. It's literally, it would be, what seeking? It has this present active kind of feel to it. But it ultimately, it's what seeking? And the two guys, they respond with two Greek words. We're staying. Now, is that not a guy conversation? <laughs> Isn't it? You know, I, I'm just surprised there wasn't like a headbutt in there. Or, you know, or there was just, but that's what it is. Jesus is like, what seeking? They're like, we're staying. And they know what to do. And they just, but it's, I think it's funny. Um, so they follow and they go and look at this. He asks, what are you seeking? They ask, where are you staying? How's he going to respond? You know, this would be a great time for a sermon. You know, just sit down, guys, sit down. I want to talk to you about the kingdom of God. Or maybe this is the time to say, oh, hey, you know what? Here's what you do. Let's go to the synagogue and let's start a six-week course on this. Or 
Or, or maybe it could be the kind of thing where he just starts laying them out as the creator, talking to these totally depraved individuals in sin, and just chews them out. We don't see that. Look at this. What a great Messiah. He said to them, come, and you will see. Now, the, the, the form of this is the word come here is actually an imperative. An imperative form of a verb has this idea of a command, of an earnestness to it. Now, this is not a command like, you must come. It's not that kind of a command. It's an imperative form where it's kind of like this. Guys, you gotta come. It's an invitation. It's a, listen, you gotta come. And then the, and you will see, it's a future tense. It's like this, you gotta come. I'm telling you, I'd love for you to come along and just come over to my place. Come over, you gotta come over and you'll see. What you're seeking for, you'll find it out. What a cool response to seekers. What a very cool response here in this process. Come and see, come and catch sight of. You come, you experience it. It will become visible to you. It's not this tone of, you got a choice right now, take it or leave it. It's not the, uh, give up everything you have and now come follow me, if you're really serious about it. None of that. You very much see this I think, a very sweet, welcoming invite. Come on over to my house. Let's hang out. I'd love to spend some time with you. And Jesus knows they want to check him out. They're wondering, is this guy for real? So they came. And they saw where he was staying, and they stayed with him that day. How long did they stay with him? That day. I'm sure it was about the 10th hour. Well, just to comment on that. How cool would that be? <laughs> I mean, just how awesomely cool would that be? I mean, Jesus, the Messiah, and you get to go to his, you know, his pad. You know, you get to go to his place where he's hanging out at, and you get to spend time. Now, these guys are interested, available learners, and, and they, they've been putting themselves in the right kind of places to get seek answers for their questions. Jesus says, come. They come over. Now, if I were hanging out over at Jesus' place for a while, I'm telling you, I'm watching him. Everything he does, how does he eat? What's he eat? How does he look? Does he look at the eye or is he kind of looking over? Am I annoyance to him or is that okay? Is he starting the questions and the interaction or am I the one who's beginning? He's just letting me kind of trying to see where I'm at. And they interact together. This had to be one really cool conversation in one night. I wonder what their conclusion is. I wonder what after these two had to spend, let's just say an evening, whatever amount of time it was, where they had to spend this time with Christ. I wonder what they then walked away. Because John said, this guy, this is the Messiah. This is the Christ. This is the one we've been talking about for centuries and centuries and generations and generations. This is the guy they get to go over and have Starbucks with them. And what's their conclusion? Take a look. Verse 40. One of the two who heard John, uh, John the forerunner, speak and followed Jesus was Andrew. Andrew is Simon Peter's brother. Uh, he first found his own brother, Simon. This is so after the interaction, it's kind of like, man, he beelined out of there and went to talk to his brother, Simon, and said to Simon, we have found the Messiah. We have found the Christ. That is the next massive statement. John says, that's the one. And they said, we had time to hang and I'm telling you, I'm telling you, Simon, that's the one. That's the conclusion that Andrew came to. I wonder about John. Well, we don't find out about John. John writes the letter. John doesn't speak a whole lot about himself. He kind of refers to himself as the disciple. Uh, turn to 1 John. 1 John. Hang on right in your Bibles, uh, towards the end of the Bible. 
1 John. 1 John chapter 1. I think we get some insight here. This is a time later. This isn't as quick as Andrew's response, but we have this response that follows later on. John telling, and we get a similar feel. Look at this. 1 John chapter 1, verse 1. That which was from the beginning, which we have, which we have heard, which we have seen with our eyes, which we looked upon, by the way, looked upon is different than seen. The word here meaning behind it, seen is literally like, I saw him. Just like, you know, physical, physical. I see you, you see me. I've seen him. It's, it's been a mono, mono kind of a thing. You know, we're there. But the word looked upon is different from that. It's kind of like, I've seen him and I've cognitively processed it through. I've pondered it. Not only did I see, but I pondered the whole situation. I've looked upon it, analyzed it, reviewed it, run it through the questions in my head, and wondered about it. And I looked upon it, and I've touched him with my hands concerning the word of life. Verse 2, the life was made manifest, and we have seen it, and we testify to it. Verse 3, that which we have seen and heard and proclaimed to you. Verse 5, this is the message we have heard from him and proclaimed to you. A John, first source account. Basically, he's saying, just like Andrew, that's the Messiah. That's the Messiah. That's a huge conclusion. Do you have a story like that? In this first part here, we see this invitation. Come and see. You may be at a place where you're kind of literally like, you know, the whole Bible, Jesus, God, religious thing, is there a God? You're just in this whole place of, I'm, I, just, I just don't know right now, to tell you the truth. I'm just really not sure. I, I want to tell you, I love it when people are honest about it at that point. I love that. I love interested, available learning. You see, oftentimes people say, that's just a bunch of baloney. And it's at times I've had the opportunity to ask questions, tell me what is it so bunch of baloney about it. And what it really comes out is they really haven't taken time to actually take a look into the claim. This morning, I want to do this. I want to let you know, if you're at that place where you're just kind of wondering this whole Jesus thing, and he's God, and I, he died for the world, I just got questions. I want to let you know, Jesus says this, you've got to come and check me out. Just check me out. Just, hey, it's okay. It's okay for you to really ask me the rough questions of life. It's okay. I, in fact, I invite that. I say, Jesus is big enough to handle it. The, the thing is, the invitation's out on the table. Do you want to take and start digging into it? That's the big question. So I ask you, if you're at that point, I just want to say, I'm so glad you're here. And I want to encourage you, don't just leave it in fluffy world. Because listen, this is literally a life and death situation. If Jesus Christ is true, if he's right, I mean, it's that big a deal. And it's kind of like, I think you are smart enough that you would want to be able to come to a conclusion. And here's one of the things, at times I wish God created us all like robots. Without the choice to sin. And just the whole world would be great. We would just all be walking around like robots. But God didn't create us that way. He created us with the opportunity and the choice to be able to sin. Oh, by the way, he did with the angels as well. And so in that fact, one of the wonderful things about that is you and I have a choice. And I just want to think this is a time to be reminded and say, listen, if you're seeking to where it's like, I just got questions, hey, ask. I've, I've just been honored here in the last six months or a year, just had some time to sit down with a couple guys who are at that place at different times. I love those conversations. You got to come. You got to come and check them out. Make a choice. I'd encourage you to write out your questions. What are they? Whether it's me or someone from here or somewhere, let, let, let me give you, uh, tell you my story. Just briefly here, my story came to where I was raised in a, a very solid Christian home. Youngest of three brothers, my mom and dad were Christ followers, my two older brothers were Christ followers. I mean, they were literally, I mean, seriously, they were actually Christ followers. 
not just by name. It made it very, very easy for me to choose following Christ. Because I remember in junior high watching my older brothers and it was like I saw how they lived life and what life looked like for them. And I, I'm a very visual kind of a learner guy. And then I saw their friends and I'm like, my word, I choose them with what was going on. But then I got towards a time in college where it so often happens. I don't know if you're older and you've gone through this as well. That's a time where you get out of the home and you kind of go, wait, is this a mommy thing that I'm taking on or a mom-dad thing that I'm taking on? Or is this a really a me thing? So I started uh, asking questions. So I actually started just spending some time not being mad about it. I just really wanted to learn about what are the claims of the various religions of the world. Because I don't want to be duped. And so it was for uh, probably a year of time where I began doing some research. What does Mormonism claim? What do Jehovah's Witnesses claim? What does Islam claim? What, what, do, what does Buddhism claim? I came out with two conclusions. Two conclusions was, one, it all comes starts with the authority source. It all comes down to the authority source of every of these stated religions. And I came down to this. The Bible is completely different than every other God authority source out there in the world. All of the authorities, other authority sources, just for example, were written by one person. Pretty much one person at one point in time. I'm just going to tell you, I just have a harder time being able to be a logical person and banking it all on what one person says. I'm just in human thought right at the moment. On top of that is, is because it was written by one person, it was really all written at one point in time. The Bible's written by over 40 authors over like 1,500 years of time. Just that alone sets it differently. When you go and you take a look, you can read a Josh McDowell's book, Evidence That Demands a Verdict, and you get an understanding of how we even got an English translation of the Bible. I mean, how can I trust that this is actually what kind of God wanted to have written down? And you go and you take a look, and I'm just telling you, the, the, the support, the manuscript data of history, comparing it to Homer's Iliad, comparing it to anything else, this is beyond anything else. I mean, just beyond anything else in a pure historical literature reality. And for me, I just came down. This is, there's something different about this thing. Second thing I came to a conclusion is who is Jesus Christ? He claimed to be God. That's kind of hard for me to wrap, to tell you the truth. If someone walked up to me and said, hi, my name's Royce and I'm Jesus. I'd be like, Royce. You got issues, dude. <laughs> but when you start looking at it and you start making it, as Josh McDowell uh, wrapped it up and some others have wrapped it up, that it's he was either the Lord or he was a liar or a lunatic. In other words, he said he was God in the flesh. That's actually why they crucified him, because he claimed to be God. And if he knew that he was not that, but made a hoax, he was a liar. And I don't want to follow a liar. If he was mentally messed up and he actually thought he was God in the flesh, but he wasn't, I'm not about that one either. That's a lunatic. But he made the statements, and I'm telling you, as time went on, for me personally, I just got to the place. I'm telling, I cannot come to any other conclusion that the claims that he said, I can't argue against them. What about you? Do you have questions? I just want to encourage you. Because sometimes I have a burden for people at that place to where it's like, it, you, you've at times been put in a place where it's like, you shouldn't be there and you shouldn't investigate and ask why. I just want to tell you something. Jesus says, come. Ask. Check me out. Tell me the truth. Before I go to the next one real quick, just three possibilities for you. Number one, uh, things you could do if that's you at that point. I would encourage you to do this. I would encourage you to, in the next two weeks to read the first four books in the New Testament, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. I'd encourage you to read them in opposite order. 
four different books about Jesus Christ written by different human authors to different people, a little bit different perspective. But I'd encourage you to start Matthew, Mark, Luke, John. Start with John, then read Luke, then read Mark, then read Matthew. I just really encourage you and ask the question, who is this guy? What does he say he is? Is he for real? Dig in. Put Jesus to the test. Check him out. Third, I'd encourage you to, to read a book called, uh, James, James McDonald's book called uh, God Wrote a Book. You need to come to understand, should this be trusted? Why can we trust this? It's a wonderful summation of taking a look at that. Second book I'd encourage you to consider is books called, by Lee Strobel called The Case for Christ. He's a guy who did just exactly what I talked about. Basically, he wanted to investigate the claims of Christ, and is this for real or not? And so he, as a journalist, he, account, he, he records his whole process for going through this. That would be a great book for you to read. The third book would be Tim Keller's book, if you're a thinker, called The Reason for God. If you have just questions, I encourage you to do that one. And lastly, as Karen said, my wife said, uh, I encourage you to come join our Bible base camp, small group here for the next 10 weeks. And uh, we're going to be digging in and taking a look at it. Well, that's the first section. Hey, if you're a seeker, what are you seeking? Come. Come. The call for you is there's an invitation on the table for you to come and check them out. Let's go to the next one. We jump ahead. And here's the thing. Uh, we jump ahead. What happens now? Well, these guys, because they claim that Jesus is the Messiah, is now this where they are the disciples? Is this now where they're the apostles? Is this now the beginning of the three years? How about this? No to all of those. And how about this? How about they go back to work for a year? Uh, turn in your Bibles to Mark chapter 1. Mark chapter 1. Now, if you're new to the Bible and reading the Bible, Mark starts at kind of a little bit different place than John starts. Mark starts, uh, we're going to be looking here in verse 16, he starts a year later. What really happens is, is after the interaction that I just talked about that we were looking at here from John chapter 1, a year of time goes by, the guys go back to their jobs. Okay, and take a look. By the way, I didn't even finish reading the rest of that passage, did I? Here's what happens. They come to the conclusion, they go get their other bros. And they bring them. And they go, this is the Messiah. Okay, a year later. All right, so there's four guys who have actually met Christ. And now they're at this point. A year later, think about this, they're fishermen. A year later as fishermen, what takes place in a year? What takes place in a year when you've been an interested, available learner, and all of a sudden you've cocked away with the conclusion that there's this guy walking on the earth right now that is the Messiah, the Christ. Uh, uh, let's see, I'm not going to talk about it, I'm not going to think about it, I'm not going to interact about it, because it's really not that big of a deal. <laughs> are you kidding me? These guys are out fishing. I mean, fishing in those days is hard work. But I'm also telling you, they're out fishing. This is great time to talk. There's all kinds of dialogue that's going on. And all of a sudden, when the Messiah has been pointed out, are you kidding me? They're not going to be talking about this for like a year amongst themselves, heavy duty. Oh, yeah, they are. And we join here at Mark chapter 1, verse 16, a year later. How long later? How many days is that? Somewhere right around there, verse 16, passing alongside the Sea of Galilee, he, Jesus Christ, saw Simon and Andrew. Simon comes into the picture. Remember, he was just told that uh, they found the Christ. Simon and Andrew, the brother of Simon, casting a net into the sea, for they were fishermen. And Jesus said to them, follow me and I will make you fishers of men. And immediately, okay, if you're new here, uh, first year of our ministry, we studied through the Gospel of Mark. Mark uses the term immediately a lot. And at that point in time, to emphasize that, we would say, bam, right afterwards, because it's intended to be that way. It's not like 10 minutes from now. It's like, right now, bam. Okay, so here we go. Running start. Everybody's going to have fun. And Jesus said to them, follow me, and I will make you fishers of men. And immediately, they left their nets and followed him. Now, when you first read this, if you picked up the Gospel of Mark, you are so thinking the living dead. You are so thinking Pied Piper. 
You are so thinking that what happened here is Jesus comes along. Jesus in all his marvelous glory, obviously with a halo and glow around him everywhere, and the white clothing and everything going on. He's walking by, and all of a sudden he goes, Terry, follow me. And Terry has no idea who I am other than the fact he sees this glow. And Terry within him, there's just this like, he can't control himself. He's just like been sitting there in the boat, and all of a sudden he's just like, and he's just drawn. And it's like, I'm coming, I'm coming. I'm I'm telling you, you read that, and that's oftentimes what you think is happening here. Please understand, that is not what happened with the disciples. In fact, some say with Matthew, there he is a tax collector. Listen, I want to tell you, Matthew was there at the point where he got all of the gossip. Matthew knew what Jesus Christ was about. So when, Matt, when we read about Jesus coming by Matthew as a tax collector, he says, follow me. Matthew's like, I'm so in this because I know what this is all about. And here are these guys, after all this time, they've been talking about this. It's not like they got to sit here and draw up a new business plan. What are we going to do with the boat? What are we going to do with this? Well, how are we gonna, what are we going to do with our 401k? They're just all of a sudden in here where it's like, we have thought about this. And I'm telling you, if I ever had the opportunity to be able to be a part of that, I am so in on that. Because this isn't blind faith. This isn't an emotional, spiritual, warm and fuzzy feeling. This is a cognitive, logical, analytical, I've come and checked it out and I'm sure. And now it's a whole new invitation. We're at a whole nother point here, folks. This isn't come and see. Jesus actually says, come follow me. It's a different kind of a statement in what's happening here. The word has this idea of come follow me. It's almost a bit of a a directive here. And look at what he says. Come follow me and I will make you become. We're going to be talking about that next week. Uh, Jesus spent time with them. So cool. He spends time with them. He gives them time to run it through. Hey, it's fine to take time to think. This isn't about rush decisions. This isn't about willy-nilly feel-good stuff. This is about logical processing it through. And God allows time for that to be done. But then it comes a point where it's, you've now had time to think about it. You've had time to research it. You've had time to consider it. Hey, I want to tell you something. It's time to come follow me. Not only just follow me because I want to make you into something. Do you see the process here? I love this process. By the way, please understand this. The call in all this is not about a system. The call in this is not about an ideology. The call in all of this is about a person. It's about the person of Jesus Christ. Jesus doesn't say, yeah, come on over and we'll talk about the ideological system and how we're going to do this political shamamory. It has nothing to do with that. He says, come and you will see. Check me out. And then here, who are they supposed to follow? Him. Just come follow me. I want to tell you, uh, uh, being a follower of Christ means hmm, following Christ, the person. That's the gospel, the good news of Jesus Christ. It's not a good news of a hierarchical system. I love the personalness of all this. Do you know? Do you know that Jesus Christ loves you? Do you know Colossians chapter 1 that Jesus Christ actually created you? Doug, you're insane. Yeah, sometimes I say that and it's like that almost sounds insane. But I'm just telling you. I've thought it through. And do you know he loves you? And do you know he invites you to come and and check him out? And do you know he invites you, even beyond that then, to stake it in the ground and become a follower of him? This is such a personal thing. The creator loves you. Very cool. Come. Come and see. Follow me. Verse 19 And going on a little further, he saw James, the son of Zebedee, and John, his brother, who were in their boat, mending their nets. Look at this. And immediately, 
he called them. Hey, I don't know what he said. Hey, oh, maybe that's more Greekish. Uh, you know, he called them and they left their father Zebedee in the boat with the hired servants and followed him. Again, you read this and it's like, what a bunch of ungrateful sons. I mean, again, you see the night of the living dead thing. No, you don't. No, you don't, because there's been a year of time in this whole process, this year of time for them to talk it, to discuss it, to think it, to interact it. And I'll bet dad was in on that discussion. Hey, I was in a business for 20 years with my brother and my dad. So whenever I come across this passage, I'm like, oh man, so many, so many memories come up. Great memories, some not so great, but great memories and all this kind of stuff. And I look at this, here's what I think person, here's what I think happened. Over that year of time, all this discussion happened. And Zebedee, the dad, because you see these two sons who had a serious level of interest in the Messiah. I just personally, I don't know for sure. I'm doing a little bit of a sanctified imagination here, but I'm going to state it that way and say, I think what's going on is dad had a huge impact on these boys and where they're at in their spiritual reality. And all of a sudden, I think in the conversations of it, when they come along and Jesus calls them out, and I think dad is probably like, listen, if you two don't get out of this boat and go, I'm going to kick you. This wasn't a rude thing to dad. I think dad was so on board with this. How thrilled it is, the fact that, again, I'm I'm, I'm making a guess because it's kind of between the lines. and I'm stating it that way to be careful, but it's kind of like how thrilling it is that my two boys are going to follow the Messiah. Uh, Listen, again, I'm trying to help us understand here this process that's taking place. Jesus Christ is so personal. Jesus Christ invites you. If you have questions, come and ask. And yet also in it, there comes a point in time, follow. Step out. Drive the stake in the ground. Ask the questions, but you have to come to a conclusion at some point in time. You need to come to a conclusion at some point in time. If you aren't coming to a conclusion, you've made a conclusion. And I just want to call you, Jesus Christ says, as many as received him, to them he gave the right to become children of God. The, 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 the statement to come follow, to step out, to drive the stake in the ground. It's out there for you. Have you made that choice? Have you made that decision where I've been processing it, thinking through by faith? God, I want to tell you, I'm in on this. Christ is my Savior. Have you done that? If you haven't, that's God's call for you. Check him out and make a decision. If you've made that decision, if you made the decision to be a follower of Christ, if you haven't been baptized, I want to encourage you to consider that. We've got that in the update here. We'd love for you to be baptized. The Bible talks about come to Christ and then be baptized. If that hasn't been a step for you, we'll bring the horse trough in. We would love to have that happen. Because it's one more step of claiming publicly, listen, this is what I'm about. Uh, By the way, if you've driven the stake in the ground for Christ and you're a follower of Christ, are you growing? Listen, this is the Messiah. This isn't a trophy. This isn't a tag-on. This isn't a nice, warm, cuddly, fuzzy bear to hug. This isn't your boyfriend. This is Jesus Christ, God in the flesh, who died on the cross for your and my sin and made it available. Are you growing in that? We're going to be taking this next week beyond here. And we're going to be looking at how Christ moved these guys. We've got to understand this process as we move along. If we're going to understand what I think is God's call for us. And honestly, it's exactly the same. Come and see. Follow me. And just quickly at the end here, let's turn to Mark chapter 3. This kind of actually gets into next week, but just starts us out here. We've started the very beginning interactions with Jesus. We followed that up with a call from Christ to step out and follow, if you will. And I'm just going to go to Mark chapter 3. Mark chapter 3 is after what chapter? 2. Mark chapter 2 is after what chapter? 
one. We just read about Mark chapter 1 at that time. They're still not the disciples. They're still not the capital D disciples. They're still not the apostles at that time. Let's just take a quick look here. Verse 13, chapter 3. And he, Jesus, went up on the mountain and called him those whom he desired, and they came to him. In other words, Jesus had like this whole crowd of people that were following him, of which the what we know as the 12 disciples were a part of this crowd. There's this whole group around, and then Jesus is over on a mountain, and he calls these 12 guys up and so they go it's like I'm, i'd probably be like am i in trouble what's going on verse 14 and he appointed 12 of whom he named apostles now this is a, a special apostolic call on these lives here but here's what i want to point out in this look at the next words so that they might be with him uh, please understand that the process that God has put into place is God in the flesh come and come to dwell among us. He invites you to check him out. And then there comes a point in time where it's like, come on, I've got a call. Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone opens the door, I will come in. As many as received him, to them he gave the right to become children of God. I write these things to you who believe in the name of the Son of God that you may know that you have eternal life. He who has the Son has life. He who does not have the Son of God does not have life. Those are the come follow me invitations. But it's not done there. That's just the beginning process. I am now a child redeemed, reconciled, son, daughter of God to be with him. The personal continues to be with him so that they might be with him and he might send them out to preach. Listen, in the very beginning at the follow me call, there was also follow me and I will make you into something. And then here again, come, be with me because I'm going to want to make you into something. Do you know if you've come to Jesus Christ as your Savior, it's not just about the golden ticket to heaven. It's about being made into what he wants to make you and I into. Matthew 20, 19 and 20 talks about the go and make. We're going to see that next week. I just want to end the third part here. Uh, let me sum up. Come and see. If you're a seeker at that point in time, you've got questions, ask. Man, how much, I just, I so badly want you to just jump out of your, and just start asking, investigate. Jesus says, come, check it out. And maybe you've been checking it out and it's time for you to drive the stake in the ground if that's the case. If you've driven the stake in the ground, here's my call for you today as we'll see more next week. You have not been called to be stuck on follow me. You have been called to follow him for the purpose of being made into somebody that is sent out going and making. Oh, that's just for pastors. That's just for missionaries. That's just like for people that are kind of really jazzed up about Jesus. Listen to me. It is about Everyone who knows Christ as their Savior. I want to finish with this. We have an epidemic in American Christianity today. And the epidemic I would kind of term as this. We define a disciple by our practice. And this is part of the problem is how so often we do church and how often uh, 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 we as pastors kind of move things along. But there is an epidemic in that it's the term disciple really is practiced as meaning is give me more information. Give me more information about Jesus so I can know more about Jesus so that I can be more comfortable with because after all it's about me and Jesus. It's just me and Jesus. It's just me and Jesus. That is so not the call. You are stuck on follow me. And part of this process is encouraging, helping, pushing, maybe even irritating you a little bit to catch the bigger call. God has something so much bigger than just me and Jesus huddling together, holding hands in the closet, singing kumbaya. Come and see. Follow me. But follow me so that I get, frankly, out of me. 
and I go and make. Step number one in a journey. Let's pray. God, thank you so much for the time together. Thank you so much for the patience of these folks and and just hearing and listening. And Lord, um, man, I, I just... I think about all of us here this morning, and and I just am joyful that there's a, a spectrum of people here this morning, people who are at the place who maybe just have some, um, have had some really bad experiences with, quote, church or such and such, and, and maybe are kind of at that place where it's like, yeah, just whatever. I'm just so not about that. God, I would just ask that that you would just maybe even encourage them to consider. Encourage them to check you out. You're not the, especially for those who are available, interested learners, you're not responding to them like you did with the proud, arrogant Pharisees. With those folks, you call them whitewashed tombs and snakes and vipers. And boy, the clouds came out with that. But we see for people who are really at a place where they're not sure and they genuinely want to take it out you invite them to the couch with you to talk if there's any way we can help those folks God I, I, I pray would you give us wisdom help us to be comfortable with people asking the whys you were and Lord I pray maybe even if there's anyone who's at a place in their life where they've been investigating and digging and considering and yet they've kind of never driven a stake in the ground they've never if you will stepped up in the invitation that you lay out there to as many as receive him to them he gave the right to become children of God Lord if that step's never been taken I pray they drive the stake even of whether it's right now or this morning where they get with someone I thank you for the joy just as it's been in here. In the last while, some individuals have made that choice. Oh, heaven, we're grateful. Lord, I pray for those of us who have made that choice. We'd realize that we're talking about a personal experience.